0: The Light Breakfast with Asha and Nan, brought to you by Maybank.
1: Today on Let's Talk About Sex, we go back to the basics with family medicine practitioner and sexual health specialist at the Red Clinic, Dr. Andrew Yap.
0: So, why don't we just dive right into it? Now, we usually talk about the act of sex, but not everyone is aware of the health aspects. So, what are the common sex related health issues we really should know, especially if we're quite sexually active?
1: I think uh, the most obvious thing that we get asked about all the time is about sexually transmitted infections. But other than that, I think maybe, you know, some areas of like desire disorders or, or arousal disorders, you know, like all the stuff that people always talk about viagra and all that stuff also maybe uh, pain disorders you know pain uh, during sexual intercourse and of course the big old orgasm disorders those are some of the areas i think we get lots and lots of questions about
0: okay which ones have you had to pick maybe a top two that, that in your opinion we really really should be arming ourselves with as much information as possible
1: i think sexually transmitted infections in general like as a broad topic is really something that we don't talk about enough. Mm-hmm. But I think I would I would place that as the top one. And also, uh, I personally have an interest in so-called desire disorders, you know, like, uh, why don't I feel like having sex, you know, or, or something like that.
0: Is that something that could be linked to something that's physiological or more often than not, is it psychological? You
1: mean regarding desire disorders, yes. right? Yes. I think my specific interest in it is... I think a lot of people feel that oh i i should have this level of you know libido or i i should have this level of sexual interest not many of them kind of like think of it in a way like oh do i have a thyroid problem for example that affects my mm. you know my libido or like do i have a mental health issue that affects my libido you know for example right not to over medicalize the subject i have an interest about you know kind of asking people have you considered you know, this or have you considered that? Because I think a lot of people just end, end it as, you know, oh, I don't feel like having sex or so something's wrong with me, full stop. There's no, nothing physiological. Mm-hmm. Na- na- it doesn't go any deeper than that, you know?
0: Well, if they are at all aware that it's a problem because I think, you know, certainly within the Asian context, um, it's something that we are told to expect when you get to a certain age. It just happens and then, you know, don't don't question it any further than that, yeah? Yeah, yeah, it's true. Doctor, what are the differences and perhaps common misconceptions people have about STDs, sexually transmitted diseases and infections, and STIs? Uh, what, what really is the difference between an STD and an STI? I
1: have the same kind of question in my head, like much earlier in my career, but as it turns out, after a few years, I realized that there's no real reason why we need two different acronyms for each
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> um, so it. So it it really just is the same thing, right? Um, I think maybe the people who use the term sexually transmitted infections just don't like using the word disease. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so sexually transmitted infections, in effect, is slightly more polite. Okay. So, yeah, in that sense. <laughs> so,
0: so if there is a misconception, you'll probably spring from that, right? Yeah. Okay. That's right. Yeah. Now here, here's something that I, I discovered quite interesting. Some STIs don't actually present with any symptoms. How does this happen? In, and in yeah. these cases, if there are no symptoms symptoms, how do we know that we are in fact infected?
1: Yeah, so um big, big one is an example, you know, our clinic deals with a lot of HIV medicine or prevention or treatment or anything to do with HIV, basically, mm-hmm. right? So HIV is an example. Uh you could uh, potentially get infected with HIV. Have little to no symptoms, or have symptoms that feel very similar to something else. You know, just a just a just a fever or sore throat or something like that. You know, and then that's it. And then for the most part, you don't feel anything for the next couple of years, until maybe, you know, it's a little bit too late, and you start having effects from having the virus in your body. You know, mm-hmm. later on. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, I think it's it's a lot of people should be reminded that. Sexually transmitted infections do not necessarily have symptoms. Okay. And even if you have no symptoms, you have a potential to infect someone else if you have a sexually transmitted infection.
0: Right. So in the case of HIV, for example, please do correct me if I'm wrong. Because as you say, uh, you don't present with any symptoms. It's not actually HIV that makes you ill. It suppresses the immune system, right? And then some opportunistic infection may pop along and that's the one, right?
1: Yeah, so that's precisely the correct term. We use that in medicine too, opportunistic infection. That's exactly it. Mm -hmm. So uh, for most people who get infected with HIV, basically the the initial part is kind of like pretty much symptom-free, you know, Um, and then the later part, you know, is essentially the part where your immune system gets uh, so affected that, you know, you easily get infections that, you know, people who... Do not have HIV will get
0: doctor. What are some uh, screening procedures that we should be considering for our sexual and reproductive health?
1: I think this is basically related to you know I I always tell my patients that uh, you you diagnose a sexually transmitted infection almost like kind of the same way you diagnose anything. You start with uh, taking a patient history. Right. Mm. I mean, if the patient tells you something like, "Oh, you know, I've I've had no sex for the last you know five years or something like that," then there should be no reason why you need a screening to begin with. Mm -hmm. So I think every screening just begins with like, you know, kind of like a risk assessment, you know, like like how much sexual exposure are you actually getting, right? But after the risk assessment, essentially we have a bunch of sexually transmitted infections that we can detect from a blood test, Mm -hmm. you know, um, HIV, uh, all the hepatitis, you know, B and C and so on, uh, and syphilis. And then you have kind of, Uh, the more minor stuff that you diagnose with other forms of tests like swabs uh, and urine and so on. So popular ones that patients know well, chlamydia, gonorrhea, uh, and maybe even more minor ones like maybe herpes simplex virus or uh, human papilloma virus, uh, HSV and HPV respectively.
0: You've touched on something that I think is, is quite important, which is... I think there needs to be a certain level of honesty as far as the patient is concerned in terms of what their history has been like, their sexual history has been like. And you did touch upon also what is considered to be the popular ones or the ones that most people know of. Um, Do you make recommendations uh, on the tests that should be done? Or do you listen, well, not listen, but do do you take on board what a patient might say uh, that I would like to request such and such a test.
1: Uh, yeah, definitely. So uh, I think when, when we take a history, I will take into account the level of risk and also, you know, uh, the sexual practices because sometimes the sexual practices actually determine what kind of samples you
0: need. Mm. Now, specifically on that point, um, we hear this often enough and we hear that, you know, Women should have Pap smears, but what is a Pap smear exactly? Uh, and the second part to this is: is there a similar screening for, say, men?
1: So uh, a Pap smear, in its traditional form, you know, when people say Pap smear, it's essentially us taking some cells mm-hmm. from the cervix, uh, or for the most, or the most external part of the cervix that we can actually see, uh, you know, with, our, with the doctor's eyes. Mm-hmm. So we use a, a device called a speculum. Uh, whenever patients see the speculum or a picture of the speculum, they always go, oh, yeah. you know. <laughs>
0: That's basically a dilator, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's basically something that enables us to visualize the the, the actual cervix on the inside. Lah. So we need to open the vaginal canal up a little bit, right? right? Uh, and then we see the cervix and then we use either uh, traditionally a wooden spatula. But nowadays, most of the time we use a brush,
0: Okay. You know,
1: So we take some cells uh, from the cervix and then we send it off to a lab and essentially the lab uh, uses a microscope and looks at the cells and tells you how likely are the cells to be cancerous.
0: And the second part of that, is there something similar for men that men should be aware of?
1: Okay, for the males, we have no cervix so there is no need for a pap smear, mm-hmm. right? The pap smear is essentially a screening test for cervical cancer. So we have no cervix. So there's no pap smear. Yep. Uh, but patients often ask about HPV testing in a male. I would say this is largely confined to the area of research. Um, nothing very practical in real life that I would recommend any, any anybody do for a male. Mm-hmm. In research, they take HPV samples from uh, inside the anus, for mm-hmm. example. To collect data, and sometimes they take HPV samples from, uh, you know, the what we call the glands penis, which is like the, you know, what we properly know as the head. Yep. So it's like a, they scrape some cells off the glands penis. Okay. But when we talk about like you know whether there's any test that is actually kind of you know properly qualified for a male for HPV, the answer is actually no. So I don't recommend. You know, you know, men going out there and doing an HPV test once a year, you know, it, it doesn't work that way.
0: Okay. This morning in our campaign, let's talk about sex. We're with Dr. Andrew Yap from the RED Clinic and continuing our conversation. My next question has to do with something that we kind of touched on a little earlier uh, that some people may experience issues with libido or, in fact, feel pain uh, after or even during sex. Um, just very broadly speaking, what could be causes of this?
1: I would say a very, very big one of interest nowadays is mental health. Okay, first of all, if you have pain during sexual intercourse, it naturally leads to low libido, mm, of right? Course. That, that, that makes perfect sense, right? Yep, so yep. If you, if it's more like a chain rather than something mm. independent right I do frequently ask my patients okay is there anything that's very uncomfortable you know like during sex you know is something happening to you that's un- uncomfortable is it pain is it is it painful is it dry you know or anything in specific like that but other than that I think a very very big topic nowadays is mental health right I think it's a huge problem that patients themselves don't talk about it because sometimes I have to discover that the patient is taking some form of Antidepressant, for example, mm, okay. you know, and then antidepressants themselves can cause a lack of libido, right? And mental health issues themselves, you know, if you are severely depressed, you probably won't feel like having sex very
0: often, you know. Mm.
1: Yeah, so I think this mental health issue um, side effects of medication, you know, mental health in general, I think should be a very very big kind of portion of discussion when we have time to explore it with a patient.
0: Right, this one kind of pops into my head because. Even after having asked the question, as far as libido is concerned, more often than not, that seems to be the province of men. Whereas the idea of pain during sex tends to be something that women experience. It's not quite as common in men. Is, would that be an accurate assessment?
1: Uh, I think it's just not well spoken about. Mm. So, for example, you know, I, yeah, for for women, you might hear things like you know, uh, dermatological issues in their you know, vulva. You know, you might hear uh, dyspareunia, which is pain during insertion. You know, sexual intercourse. You know, that kind of things, yep. um, common. You know, but for males, you might have something like, um, you know, a foreskin that cannot be retracted properly, oh, or right. a, 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 something like a, like we call it the frenulum, which is like you know, like the the little string part that connects the the, the foreskin yep. uh, to 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 the glands, right? Yep. Sometimes you can have a frenulum that's a bit too tight, you mm. know, or sometimes you can have mild fungal infections of the glands you know that that, that affect you know your sexual uh, activity yeah so I, I actually don't think it's slanted so much to one side as per popular belief mm-hmm. I think it's more like guys don't really talk about it
0: yeah why is it important for us to have a positive and uh, understanding about our sexual health I mean it seems like it would be plainly obvious but hearing it from an expert might help
1: My personal view is that, sexual health or sexual activity in general, to me, is a, is, is just a big part of human happiness. Mm. However little we seem to talk about it. So I feel like, you know, people who want to have sex yep. and are having sex the way that they want to have sex,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, are just generally happier people, you know. Uh, and I feel that I think that's quite important as far as quality of life is concerned from a medical perspective.
0: Yeah. Well, to say nothing of the population impact. Really, at the end of the day, let's uh, be yeah, yeah, perfectly course, honest yeah. about it. Yeah,
1: yeah. You can argue the pros and cons of having a big population, or the population growing a lot, or the population shrinking, and uh, this is the world we live in today. Um, but yeah, I mean, just in general, you know, just I feel like people who want to have sex and get to have sex healthily the way they want are just happier people. You know?
0: Yeah, I mean, honestly speaking, if you there, there has to be an emotional uh, component to this, absolutely. I mean, notwithstanding, it is a reproductive function, but there yes. is certainly more to it than that. You have to, you have to place the emotional aspect into it.
1: Yes, yes, definitely, definitely. Well, thank you so much for this conversation, Dr. Andrew Yap. You can listen to us again on the Light Breakfast podcast on the Shock app.